Maybe I'm crazy, but I might be an undercover Brooklyn Nets fan. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Welcome to Maybe I'm Crazy Podcast. I'm Joy Taylor. Thanks for joining us this week. It's been a very hard, emotional week for everyone, so... I appreciate you taking the time to check us out. We talked to Spencer Dinwiddie of the Brooklyn Nets this week. So we talked to him about uh, obviously everything that's going on in the world, the protests and uh, how he feels about all of that. We talked to him about this season with the Nets, how KD is gonna be when he comes back and lots of other stuff involving the NBA. And today I thought we'd do something a little different with the podcast. It feels a little tone deaf to just ignore or, you know, not have a conversation about everything that's going on with the death of George Floyd and the protests all around the world. So Crazy Gang is going to join me, me, Heller, Donnie, and Shantiera, and we're just going to talk about some of the thoughts we have about everything that's going on and hopefully enlighten or just be a little therapeutic for you um, and we hope that you'll share your thoughts and comments with us as well but let's get started with spencer dinwiddie very excited to have spencer dinwiddie of the brooklyn nets on the show today thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it no problem thanks for having me so it's it's been a rough week to say the least for everybody how is how has this past week been for you um I mean, it, it, I, I don't know how to put it into words in a, in a sense. I mean, obviously, uh, there, there's the tragedy that starts everything. And obviously, there's the complete social unrest, uh, deservedly so. Um, and then obviously, people going back and forth and, you know, having their certain opinions about whether it's proper or not proper. Um, so it, it's been a it's been a whirlwind experience for somebody that's kind of on a side on the sidelines to a degree obviously i have a voice and and you know speak out about how i feel about you know uh the country and and racism but you know not necessarily in uh some of the hotbeds of the riots either do you feel like because you're an athlete and you have a platform like you said you have a voice that you have an obligation to share your opinion or speak up uh i do i do i I mean I, i think uh it's going to be kind of cheesy because it's like the, the Spider-Man quote, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Um, but, but you owe it to, to your people if you do have a platform and a voice to uh, help out in, in whatever way that you can. So to someone who would say that you're, you're not qualified particularly to speak on something like this because you're an athlete and you make a bunch of money and maybe you know your reality is a little removed from everyone else's, what would you, you know, what would you argue with that person in that in that space? Well, I would say I didn't start, you know, making money until I was 21. Didn't start necessarily making a lot of money by NBA standards until this past year at uh, 26. So, you know, the first 21 years of my life, I was still and am still a African American male and grew up as such. Um, oftentimes, in the later teenage uh, years, as a bigger African American male. And um, obviously, we, we know the kind of connotation that people uh, carry with people like that, um, that we're scary or, you know, violent or thugs or things like that. So, you know, uh, ma- making money doesn't erase uh, my entire upbringing. 
When you say that, like the past week, I've heard that so much from uh, so many different people, but also from a lot of athletes that you've had the experience that people treat you like you're scary or like you said, a thug, which has become um, a very interesting place word in today's society. Um, What does that make you feel like? Because for me, when I hear that, it really it hurts. Like it's like it's it, it hurts me on the inside that someone could look at you and be afraid. How does that make you feel? Uh, not to not to sound callous, but it, it's been reality. So it, it hasn't been something on a day to day basis. You know, you you say like, oh my god, this is you know terrible or whatever, and it, it is right. Like you shouldn't walk around or understand that that's the context you 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 hold when you walk in an environment. But like that's life. That's the reality of the situation and, and uh, you know, every, everybody has their own reality and you just kind of live with it. it. It's, it's tough to say, but it's true. Have you had any conversations with uh, your coaches or your white teammates? Cause I, I, I personally have had people reach out to me um, just like asking if I'm okay or like, how can they help or what can they do? Have you had any of those conversations? Yeah. I mean, our, our team is uh, spoken. Uh, I think that's one of the best parts about, uh the the nets and, and the guys we have in the locker room um we're very open we have a lot of great guys and you know we, we've been able to communicate back and forth uh, about the situation so that's been that's been uh definitely a positive sign what would you say uh because i like to consider myself a, a a realist which can sometimes be confused for a pessimist but it's not hey I, uh, i'm on i'm on that side <laughs> um but i am also a solution oriented person like there's problems in all aspects of life. And we are dealing with a problem as a society right now, multiple problems as a society right now. But what, if you were to give a suggestion, like you're, the president has given you the rose garden to speak to planet earth right now on how to fix this. Oh man. You know, no pressure. Um, what would you say? I think number one, it probably depends on what, what, what are we looking for? Are we looking for a true equality or are we looking for trying to expedite reform? Um, true equality, if I'm the president, I mean, obviously, and I'm, I'm running things, there, there's a lot of things that would change and would have to change to make that a reality. Um, the more attainable goal, uh, which is still going to be extremely hard in uh, its own right, would be to expedite reform. And, uh, you know, from what I've seen of America... Uh, America seems to only respond to two things, um, violence and, and money. Uh, violence in this scenario obviously can can do some good things in the short term, but long term I don't think it's a effective solution just because if they were in the most extreme scenario to institute martial law, uh, they can roll tanks down the street and, hey, we, we might have, you know, pistols and rifles, but we're not messing with tanks, you know, so um, that, that brings us to money. Uh, support black business, recycle black dollars in the community. Uh, geographical relocation, don't be afraid to move back to black communities. I know uh, we all tend to like to move to the suburbs when we do uh, reach a certain point of affluence, but you know, uh, that those are the types of things it would take. You know, it, it would take us essentially taking all of our economic uh, GDP and recycling it through our community and forcing them to listen to us. Because at the end of the day, if you hurt their pockets, if you hurt the, the big business, if you hurt America's pockets, they, 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 will, they will listen. 
for sure. Spencer, uh, 2024 or no? <laughs> <laughs> nah, hopefully I'm still in the league at that point. Oh well, yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll put it off a, a couple more, uh, a couple more elections. Um, by the way, if you're listening to this today, you, you, you need to vote today because uh, there are a bunch of places that are voting today. Okay, very rough, inartistic transition um, out of everything that's happening. Um, but I do got to ask you because I personally feel like I don't get enough credit for the support that I've given the Brooklyn Nets over the past couple of years um, as a national media personality. Um, I have though, like I really, I thought two years ago, uh, you guys were one of the most fun teams in the league to watch. Full disclosure, I'm a Heat fan. So, you know, there's, it's a lot. What's that face for? I mean, like, are you Bron Heat fan or are you like an actual Heat fan? No, I'm like an actual Heat fan, like a Wade, Wade 06 fan, like a Pat Riley fan. So I grew okay. up, I grew up a Michael Jordan fan. I grew up in Pittsburgh, so we don't have a, a basketball team, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I grew up an MJ fan and then when MJ retired, just kind of like move, you know, I had to hop around a little bit. I was, I, I was an Allen Iverson fan and a Kobe fan and then, you know, like Wade and then I moved to Miami. So they're like my, you know, adopted older version of myself team, if that makes sense. But I am a real Heat fan though. And, uh, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I very much enjoyed the LeBron Heatles years. It was a wonderful time. I rode in parades. It was great. All right. And there's nothing wrong with that. All right. Listen, while you're over there, uh, you know, talking, KD did did join the Nets, right? So we're not, it's okay. That's like, not bandwagon. Free, free agency is cool. Yeah, free agency is, is definitely cool. But that's not bandwagon. Like, so you the really fan police now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> No, I don't believe in fan police. Well, first of all, all right, so we, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Here's the thing about fan police. At the end of the day, sports, this world that we live in is entertainment, right? Like, yep. it, it is entertainment. We know that. Yes, of course, it's the highest level of competition. But as much as there is the competition, it's the entertainment factor. That's why there's such a big conversation about whether we're going to have fans in the arenas or not. Like, how can you even, you know, play like that? How is all that going to work? But, like, if you go to a bad movie... You leave. And you might be a, the biggest... And listen, Denzel's never made a bad movie. But you might be the biggest Denzel, Denzel fan ever. If you're not enjoying this movie that you paid money for, no one's going to like be on the way out like, bad fan. <laughs> you just left the movie. Like, all right, like, I got something else to do. I'm not enjoying this, right? Yeah, but all right. So what happens if the next day you're like, yeah, Denzel's not my favorite actor anymore. Now it's Will Smith. I mean, that's your prerogative, right? Oh, No. And remember, we also don't grow up saying like, hey, we're, we're dedicated to this team, right? Or we're dedicated to this actor. Like we, we grow up and we're like, hey, I'm from L.A. The Lakers are my team. Unless I go to the league, the Lakers will remain my team. I'm a little right. more, okay, maybe I'm just a little more callous, okay? But I, I, I don't feel like, I think if you hop from team to team, like depending on who's good, that's one thing. But if you like yeah. become a fan, like someone's like, oh, I'm a huge fan of Spencer and he goes to a different team. I'm gonna go be a fan of that team now. That makes him a bandwagon fan? Like some- No, some, no, 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 no. Some... Uh, we're, we're, talk we're not talking about following players. We're talking about hopping from team to team. Like if you were a Lakers fan 
in the early 2000s, and then you were a Heat fan in the. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, those, those, no, those people, those, that's different. Okay, we're on the same page. <laughs> that we, we don't have time for those people. That's that's ridiculous. That's the people that wear like a different jersey for every single day of the week. Yeah. There you I'm go. with you on that. You got to have some loyalty in this world. But that said, I have been very supportive of the Nets. Um, I think that, that you guys had a really good uh culture established a really good energy two years ago and i was all for the Kyrie kd move i personally feel that once everyone is healthy you guys are in the championship conversation like i don't i don't know how you don't consider that team a championship level team with all of the expectations that come with it but this year was a little a little bumpy for you guys did you feel like you deserved all of the criticism that you got this year uh in short not at all right like our big three on paper is Kyrie, Karis and KD I think Kyrie played like 20 games Karis played like 30 games and KD didn't play at all so we spent more than half the season without any of our three best players right and we're still in the playoffs so you know looking at it in that respect like I think it's a pretty successful season there's, there's not another unit that you can say did that I mean even if you took the the dominant Warriors, right? If you took Steph, Clay, and KD out the lineup, would you be like, ah, oh, man, they're going to be in the playoffs or Draymond's going to lead them to this or lead them to that? You'd be like, nah, they, they weren't very good as, well, shoot, we kind of saw this year. You know, I mean, that and we're still in the playoffs and, and, and doing our thing and trying to fight for like a sixth seed. So, uh, in my mind, I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty good solid season. I felt like this season was a... I feel like it was like an establishing season for yeah. the Nets because without KD, you really can't evaluate what you guys, what your full potential is. Exactly. So, exactly. well, KD, the other conversation about the Nets that I think is kind of silly, specifically it's about KD, is this idea that KD's not going to come back as good as Kevin Durant is. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you yeah. make of that? No. No, I'm only laughing because I caught heat for this uh, when I said at 80%, KD is like dirt. And everybody got mad. I wasn't saying, like, if you took every attribute and dumbed it down. I was literally saying if you took a less athletic KD, that's what everybody says. Like, oh, if you have the Achilles injury and you're less athletic, like, what does this game probably look like? And I'm like, name me another seven-footer that was crazy in the mid-post ISO, pick and pop, could shoot out to 35, 40 feet, had that type of touch around the basket, Sounds like dirt to me, and he'd still have better handles and, and whatnot. So, I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest scores of all time. I don't see how he's going to come back and not be elite. You know what I'm saying? Even if he loses, I don't see how he's not elite. You know, now whether he's the best player in the world, I mean, that you got to ask him how he's feeling. But I, I don't I don't see how he doesn't come back and, and, and be uh, phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, neither one of us are doctors, obviously. But I, I, I don't even really, like – feel like entertaining that conversation. Like KD is yeah. going to do everything he can to come back at 100%. It's not like he's an right. old man. But more importantly, I think it's a little bit of recency bias. Like we kind of just pay attention to whatever's kind of shining at the moment. And it's a, yeah. it's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind with KD, I think. No, I agree with you 100%. I mean, everybody obviously is crowned Giannis and all that stuff. And, you know, KD's going to be back and he's going to do his thing. So how does the chemistry all work do you think it all all fits together well for sure i mean uh one of the best parts about 
uh, Kyrie, DJ, and, and Katie being best friends is they can lead the locker rooms and they and they can be on the same page because they are such good friends. And so, uh, you know, when you're three elder statesmen and obviously three of your starters um, are, are on that same page and function in the same unit, it's on us to come around the group and, and kind of just make it all gel together. What's Kyrie like as a teammate? Because he gets a lot of... A lot of criticism, mostly that I feel is unwarranted because I don't have any problem with him not wanting to be in Cleveland anymore. And yeah. I don't think that what happened in Boston was his fault either. But yeah. you you know him. So what is he like as a teammate? I, I think a lot of times uh, in the entertainment industry, as, as you know, if, if you don't uh, toe the line, um, a lot of narratives can be uh, spun about you. And, um, you know, people take those and run with them. Uh, as, as far as Kyrie and, and my personal deals with him, like he's been phenomenal to me. And he's been great as a teammate, as a leader in our in our locker room. So, you know, uh, the only thing we, we didn't like was that he only played 20 games. We wish he had to play, you know what I'm saying, all the games. So that was, that was really it on, on our end. What do you think is – I mean, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the season – there's a lot of different scenarios that are coming out. There's a lot of things that have been discussed about where everyone stands. Overall, what's your vibe on how players feel about coming back? Is it like a consensus everyone wants to come back no matter what the situation is and just make it work? Or are people still cautious because of Corona, which we're honestly not even talking about at the moment? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, we want to play, but we're cautious. Um, between Corona and now, shoot the riots, and you know people have families. Can the families travel? Can they not travel? How long are we going to be in the bubble? Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of questions around the situation, and I think we could give more concrete answers once we have concrete details. Quite honestly, I mean, you know, sometimes they say it's going to be the top 20 teams, and they say it's going to be all 30 teams, then they say it's only the playoff teams, then it may be split Vegas and Orlando, then it's just going to be Orlando. Like we we don't know, you know, what's going on, and so. You know, we pretty much take the approach of, yes, we would love to play, but we just want to make sure it's a, obviously a healthy and right situation. What would be the ideal situation for you? What would you prefer? Uh, for me, I'm all for the fan engagement. So I say bring all 30, do some type of term, tournament format, uh, put them on Orlando and kind of pilot it just in case next season you have to have a full quarantine season, right? So kind of get some of that stuff out the way and really test it um yeah i think trying to recreate the traditional format too much uh won't really serve us any good anyway because it's going to be an asterisk on whatever happens regardless well thanks so much for joining me today i really appreciate you taking the time um lots of good suggestions how to get the season back and um and you i think you should run for office oh man I, i'm gonna need a team of olivia popes a team no i need a team you might need like one I don't know about all that, uh, but long down the road, we want to see you uh, have a very long career. I, I was, so should I say best of luck? Because I, I don't know, it's the heat. No, no, this, no, come on now. This Bring season. This This season, for the rest of this season, no, seriously, best of luck for the rest of the season once it gets started, and um, hope you and your family stay safe, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest 
home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Today, we were doing something a little different on the podcast than we normally do. We're going to scratch what and quit it and high key, low key and culture report because it's been an insane, stressful week for everybody uh, around the country, really around the world because there's, there's protests going on around the world, but um, I don't know. I just felt like we hadn't had a conversation like as a podcast about everything that was going on individually. We've all talked, but like as a podcast to share with each other and have a real conversation about, you know, what we're all feeling and all going through individually. And I also feel like each of us has a real passion for the community and for the culture and ha may have some suggestions for people or things that we've talked to people about individually in our own personal lives about how to, how to handle everything that's going on and what they can do to help. Um, so I'll just start. This has been an incredibly triggering, very sad, heavy week for me. I probably cried every day of the week. It's, impossible to not feel at least for me this like deep sense of just emptiness and despair watching that video of George Floyd with the police officer it's like harrowing to hear people pleading and screaming at the police officer to just move his knee off of his neck and that would have saved his life and they're just all standing there completely devoid of human decency, not even enough to just nudge him to move his knee to save his life. And this like constance, uh, it's like a nightmare just playing, watching that video and imagining that being my brother or my nephew or my cousin or, or just a friend, an uncle, like under that cop's knee and like what I would be going through right now and how I would handle that and how like you would move forward as a, a human or as a, a family. And we've seen so many videos of this and so many hashtags and there's been so many conversations and there's been protests and it feels like every couple years, you know, there's Ferguson and there's Baltimore and now there's protests all over the world for George and I don't know if it's the combination of the pandemic and just kind of what felt like a 
and just back-to-back pummeling of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and now George, George Floyd and everyone is at the height of tension that I can really remember maybe in my lifetime other than 9-11, which weirdly was a huge unifier in our country. This, this has been a, comp- a huge divider, it feels like. And while I am encouraged in some ways to see so many white people and so many non-black people open up to want to talk about what's happening and ask how they can help and share things on social media and stand in solidarity and go out and protest and just an overall feeling of we see you and see what you're saying and see the pain. And maybe we don't know how to help, but we feel like we should help, or at the very least we should have the conversation. That part is encouraging. What is extremely discouraging, other than of course, the trauma of watching yet another black man murdered by a white police officer, is the reaction that we're all having now to deal with from the rioters and the looters. And I wanna be very clear, I do not support rioting and looting, and I don't think it's right to burn down someone's business, and I don't think it's right to destroy property, but I also more overwhelmingly and most importantly care about the emotions and the loss of life. So to talk about the looting and the rioting, to me, in the way, in the experience that I'm having those conversations or seeing those conversations being had, completely diminishes what the actual issue is. I don't care, and I wanna be very clear, I don't care at all about a brick building, at all. Do I want someone to lose their business? Of course not. Do I have friends who have small businesses? Of course. Do I have black friends who have small businesses? Of course. Do I wanna see them lose their business? Do I wanna see it burn to the ground? No. But what I do care about is that we continue to focus on the actual conversation, which is police brutality and racial injustice in this country. And when I'm constantly hearing, well, the looting is wrong. No one is on the same page about looting being wrong or right. Everyone agrees that we don't want to destroy property. Everyone agrees it distracts from the conversation. Everyone agrees that's not right. What everyone doesn't agree on is how to move forward and how to enact change so that people aren't continuing to be murdered and taken advantage of in the black community in this country. So what I have to say is 99.9% of my energy is directed towards people no longer losing their life, black people no longer losing their life at the hands of white police officers, and 0.01% is reserved for that brick and mortar. That, by the way, has insurance. I don't want to diminish anyone losing their their property, or their business. It's horrible, it's wrong. And for that matter, most of the rioters and looters that I'm seeing are not black people. So what I would really like people to do is remove the conversation from protesting and rioting and looting and focus on the overwhelmingly peaceful protests and what they are protesting and what this is all about. So the first thing that you say when you talk about how you feel about everything is going on is, well, the looting is really wrong and these people are wrong and they need to stop burning down businesses. If that's the first thing that you say, you are the problem. You are the problem. And I don't care if that sounds harsh or unapologetic, because it's just the truth. The first thing that you should say is how terrible it is that the black community has had to deal with these injustices for as long as they have. 
how horrible it is that George Floyd will never go home to his family because a cop couldn't be bothered to move his knee off of his neck. How horrible it is what happened to Breonna Taylor. How horrible it is that some white supremacist chased down Ahmaud Aubrey and shot him in the street. That's how horrible all of those things are. And I, I, I'm devastated that this has been happening. And also I'd really like for them to stop, for, for, for some people to stop looting and rioting. If you don't look at it that way, you're missing everything that's happening and you are in fact the problem. And that's, that's how I feel right now. People are tired. People are fed up. People are tired of having to scream and yell for some basic things that are provided to Americans. We shouldn't have to yell and scream after Ahmaud Arbery is murdered for those guys to be arrested. But it took that for them to be arrested. We shouldn't have to yell and scream for George Floyd's murder to be arrested. But it's taken that. And it's taken these protests for the remaining officers to be arrested. And we're still waiting. Like, it's ridiculous that we are still waiting. People are fed up. People are frustrated. And they don't have an outlet for that frustration because it's a cycle. It keeps happening. We're tired of having to repeat these people's names. The sad thing is that there's probably another Breonna Taylor out there right now. We're just, it's just a matter of time before we know her name and we hashtag her name. There's another George Floyd who we, it just hasn't happened yet. And people are pissed. And this is, this is what happens. I am. Um... I saw this video of uh, Jane Elliott and she was in a room full of, you know, white people. And she asked, if you want to be treated the way society treats black people, stand up. And then she ended up repeating the question because no one stood up. And then she said, so since nobody stood up, that tells me that you know what's happening. You don't, you don't want what's happening to you. So why are you allowing it to happen to other people? And I feel like that I'm just, I'm really sick and tired of having this conversation over and over and over again. As a black woman with three brothers, youngest one being 14, my mom has to tell my brother what to do at 14 when a cop pulls him over. And if you're not, if you're not black, you can, you can say, oh, I, I understand, or you may not understand, but you will never know what it feels like to be black. So if you don't understand, if you don't see it, you gotta do research. You can't just go, you can't just learn this stuff in school because they're not really teaching where they should be. Do research and you can see it's happening. It's happening right in front of our faces. And this man was killed like in front of all these people. It like, look at what's happening. And then when we talk about this rioting and looting. Look, when people protest, rioting and looting, it happens. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it happens. This is what happens when people protest. People protest during games. So there's always gonna be bad people in instances. So you should not be focused on why people are rioting and looting. You're, as you would say, you're missing it. Do the research, show compassion, try to understand what it's like to be black in America. Because if you don't see the problem with it, I, I, I just, I don't know what else to say. It, it's disheartening. It's, it's so, like, I don't, sorry. Okay, take your time. I just want to say that it's not a white versus black. It's everyone. It's everyone versus racist. And unless you speak up, because if you're, if you're not saying anything, you're part of the problem. Like you have to speak up. You have to, because clearly a moment of silence isn't enough. Kneeling isn't enough. Protesting isn't enough. So if all that's not enough, then what do we need to do to be heard? Because everything we've done, no one's hearing us. 
but no one can tell us how to rightfully express ourselves. What what would you like us to do? I mean, what what whatever you want to do is what you should be able to do. That's that's the right that I have. Anytime anything happens, I can do whatever I want as a reaction, and no no one no one really says boo. Um, and so you should you know you should be granted that same right. I think thinking back to uh, something that uh, Joy mentioned, um, saying uh, that you're missing the point if you're if you don't understand why there's looting that's happening. Like you, uh, it's a it's a very clear scenario. If you th if you think about you know uh, it already being a pretty sketchy economy under President Trump, you think about COVID nineteen happening. You think of all you know all the extra issues that Black people have to deal with and minorities have to deal with in this country just to get the same opportunities that I have. Like if you can't understand that that's how someone gets to looting or you know all the other ways that people could want to loot for their own benefit all these other things, you're missing the point. It's like uh, something we were talking about before we uh, started this, you know, Zoom record officially, you know, uh, all lives do matter, but they can't all matter until black lives matter. And so saying right now, all lives matter, like, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a given, but it, it, it's not, that, that standard isn't being met for everyone. So that's where saying black lives matter is important because it distinguishes between, you know, this notion that we, that all of us feel, right? that everyone's equal, that everyone deserves an equal shot, but somehow that's not translating for opportunities for everyone. Um, so it's about connecting those dots. And just speaking from my own experience, um, I wanna say thank you to Joy, thank you to, uh, to you guys, thank you to Brandon for before, for letting me in the room. Um, you know, uh, being the only white guy in a room uh, is awesome. And I don't know if I would have necessarily gotten the opportunity to find that out and to be able to um, try to understand. I'm never gonna be able to understand. I'm never gonna be able to walk uh, in the shoes of someone who looks different than me, is a different sex, a different uh, you know, orientation, all that stuff. Uh, but trying to understand is the least I can do. It's the, it's, it's the least I can do. Um, so, and just, and just one other thing, and I, I actually wanna get your guys' thoughts on this. One other thing that I've sort of learned of late in my sort of progression from you know, growing up a, a privileged person that doesn't necessarily understand to trying to understand is it's not about um, speaking for anyone. It's not about having anyone's back, but just standing next to and just, and just being there. Um, and I, I, you know, I know that there's a, there's like a, a shady white element of the protest that, you know, we got, we got umbrella man with his hammer wiling out. Like there's, there's no justification for that, but it is, I am happy to see, um, white people stepping into this melee and standing with, not trying to speak for or protect or, you know, any of that stuff, but um, just, just being there with uh, people of color and just trying to, trying to stand with them. So like, like how, how, how do you guys, uh, you know, how, how do other people who look like me be supportive? I know that's a tough question and, and it really shouldn't be up to you to, uh, fix this because it's you know as gavin newsom said this is our problem it's not black people's problem it's the institution's problem it's our problem like how can we um without you know the, the whatever the version of mansplaining like partake and stand with you without taking away from the message and the importance of it well i think there's and thanks for saying all that heller i think there's two not to you know categorize white people um, and, you know, my mother is white and I have white people in my family and I have white friends and obviously white coworkers. 
Um, and I've had conversations with everyone about this. And to me, there's just two, but to, uh, to make it, to simplify it, and there's obviously gray areas, but to simplify it, to me, there are two categories of white people right now. People who are, white people who are trying, right? And then the white people who are standing in this space of, you know, trying to defend Trump or trying to defend who they voted for or feeling like, again, this is an attack on all police and an attack on America. And, you know, they are also the ones who are, like you said, agitating violence and agitating um, looting and all those things. So to focus on, I, I want to focus on the, the latter group as well, but to focus on what you asked, to me, I'm a solution-oriented person, as you guys know. But something goes wrong, I'm like, great, <laughs> something went wrong, like, but like, how are we going to fix it? Like, I don't want to keep having the same yeah. conversation about what's wrong. And that's why so many people are so frustrated and, as Donnie said, so tired because we're having the same conversations over and over and over and over again. And these are human lives that are being lost. It's not, you know, a computer glitch that we're trying to fix. So the first thing to me, if you want to be helpful is, you know, people are quick to be like, oh, I have a black friends, you know, I don't see color, I have black friends. Well, this is a good time to humble yourself and reach out to those black friends. A, check on them, just ask, are you okay? How are you dealing with everything? How do you feel? Um, and show that you care about their mental and emotional health during a very stressful, triggering time. A, that's a very easy thing to do. It doesn't require a lot of energy. You've been doing that throughout this entire coronavirus, hopefully, if you're a normal person. So A, that's first and foremost. Yeah. B, ask them, how can you help? What can you do? Can you donate somewhere? Can you, you know, file a petition or sign, you know, sign something? Can I call a congressman? Like, is there something that you know of that I can do to spend my time and energy to help? But the most important thing to me that I think people have to do, to me, this is the grassroots element of I'm not a racist or I don't see color or I truly want to help. The most important thing to me that you can do is have conversations with your white friends and your white family who say off color jokes or who make comments that are ridiculous or say things that like, you're like, uh, if my black friend was here right now or my black boyfriend or black girlfriends or my black coworker, I would feel uncomfortable with what they're saying. Well, if that's the case, you can tell them, I don't feel comfortable with what you're saying. And I'm not trying to be a revolutionary. I'm just saying what you're saying is wrong and it's racist. And you have to be able to stand up to those people in your life because guess what? They're in your life. So that's a reflection on you. And that's how it spreads. All this change and all this movement and money and protests and all that is awesome and it's great and it's super important. But to me, as important as all of that is those heart to heart conversations with your crazy uncle who is running around and I'm just uncle, aunt, whatever, whoever this person is in, in your life, right? An older relative for sure. Or, or your friends, like, or, your, or the people that you hang out with who are, right. who, are con who are only focusing on the looting or who are saying, you know, well, you know, maybe he was a drug addict or whatever it is that they're saying, you need to check them. And then if you continue to notice that those people continue to act that same way after you check them, then you need to search as to why those people are in your life. Now, I say that about family, like it's very easy. Look, I'm cut different, <laughs> I, I understand that. Not everybody is willing to 
go hard at their family if they don't feel comfortable with something. But this is just that time. If you really care, if you really want to make a difference, you have to have those hard conversations, which is why I keep saying that on social media. It's time to have those hard conversations. It's time that when you sit down at the dinner table and you guys are talking about what's going on in the world, stand up for it. Repeat what your black friend told you. You know, I talked to my friend today and she's hurting. She's upset. She's not okay. She has to tell her brother that when you get pulled over, this is how you have to act. She's afraid that when she drives down the street in the car with her family, something could happen to her or him. That's what you have to tell them. And if that doesn't register in them, that's your work to do. Because black people can't do that. We're not going to be in those rooms. We're not going to have those conversations with your family. And clearly all the yelling and screaming and protesting and pleading is not getting to them. So those are, that, to me, that's the most important thing. Time to risk those relationships, it sounds like. But that, yes. I mean, that's, but you should, you should be willing to risk a relationship with someone who has shitty old views. Yeah, I mean, Joe, I'm with you 100%. I think the biggest thing for me is just having the, the white friends that I have, not even white, just, you know, non-black friends reach out and say, man, what's going on is, is crazy. How are you holding it? How are you doing? That to me is huge. Because some people won't even say anything. They act like it, like it doesn't exist. So I think acknowledging it, having those conversations and educating yourself, don't look to the black friend to give you all the information and tell you what's going on. Like, no, look, see it for yourself. That way you understand what's going on and you can talk to, like you said, your uncles, your aunts who, who may not be educated. So you have to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. I mean, it, you, you just have to. That's the, on, that's the only way for people to understand like what's really happening. I would put a, a small qualifier on the reaching out to your black friends, reach out to the black friends who you have reached out to like recently or about something else that you like, don't reach out to that black friend that you haven't talked to in years. Right. Yeah. And then like say yeah. like, Hey, I'm thinking about you like that. I've had a few instances where that's happened to me and like, it, like I appreciate it, okay. but at the same time, it's like, it, it makes me feel a way that I honestly can't articulate right now. Um, because it's, it's like, you're, 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 it's coming from the right place, but it's still an example of what's wrong in a way. Um, right. But I, I can't like, I mean, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I can imagine that it makes you kind of feel like a token. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Situation. And so, I mean, so to me, um, I feel like there is not, not a responsibility because as Heller said, it's not black people's job to teach white people how to act. But again, I'm a realist. So what I don't like about our society in, in the cancel culture world that we live in is that people do make mistakes and people do come from places where they aren't educated and they didn't grow up around diversity. And that's not an excuse to behave that way. However, if someone is trying to learn let's let them learn. You know, we don't have to hold their hands and show them the way, but let's try to find a way to all communicate so that we can learn, right? Like we can learn about each other. And I know for me, it's something I have to work on because I am extremely hostile right now. So I am like barking at everybody and not like not speaking in a, in a, you know, a very understanding way. And I kind of, a few times I've had to step back, like, is this helping? Like, yes, I'm angry and I have a right to be angry 
and that's fair and I'm hurting and I hurt for others as well. But I do want, if someone is saying, I want to learn for them to, to learn. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, it does. It does. And I want to just clarify, I'm not saying just anybody who's non-black reach out to me, but if I have a really close, like a, like a, like a best friend, because there's an instance where having a best friend who's like, who's a white person who doesn't say, who hasn't said anything. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, I'm going to be like, I'm going to, it'll make you question. Like, I understand, especially when, you know, when, when, when this person, for example, this person's a nurse, when this pandemic happens, this person at the front lines, I'm reaching out to you saying, hey, how are you doing? How are you holding up? So in right. that case, I'm giving, I'm, I'm giving this for this particular situation. It's like, mm -hmm. if I'm reaching out to you, I would like it to be done to me, especially for my, I'm like super tight. But yeah, I mean, I understand that not everyone, uh, it can be, it can be, be a little weird if you have random people reach out saying, Hey, I know what you're going through. Like, it's like, no, you don't. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I just want to just clarify that. I, yeah. And also, I mean, yes, it should be people you, you know and have relationships with. Like, don't right. go, you know, mass texting all the black people in your phone asking for tips. Right. Not what I'm suggesting yeah, at all. I feel like I got caught up in a few of those mass texts. And it's... Yeah. Don't mass, just don't mass text. No, I think don't, this is not a good time for mass texting at all. I don't, know, I don't know if it ever is. I think I, have a, I think I have a thought on this, which is that, you know, uh, as, a, as a white person trying to learn and trying to understand... Uh, and trying to not bring sadness, like reminders of sadness to your door, like some of those people that are texting you out the blue, basically because you're their black friend and, and you're my, like, in, instead of doing that, like that, that, that's your instinct. That's, that's wanting to help. That's a good start. But uh, really genuinely think about, ev treat like not just believing that everyone is equal, but that actually treating everyone equally is, a way to avoid sort of stepping in it on the way, on, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, but if you don't want to step in it, like really genuinely be self-aware and think about like, if everyone actually is equal, which I believe and everyone says they believe that I know, right? Your actions have to represent that. And so, you know, uh, obviously, you know, if, if, if you know that your friend who's a nurse is going through it, that's a good time to check in with them. Um, but just hollering out of nowhere, cause like that, like that's, that, that's, that's, you know, that's, I have, I, I'm not racist. I have black friends, which is really just an admission that you know a bunch of racist people. Right. And that's like, so to me, I'm saying, and I want to reiterate that because I don't, I don't want to have a bunch of white people texting random black people. <laughs> what I'm saying is if you have a friend who doesn't look like you, they're going through a lot right now. So I think the word to best describe what I'm trying to say is what T said earlier, which is have some compassion. And mm -hmm. we don't live in compassionate times. Not at all. Um, I, you know, I'm not the, the softest of uh, humans. And I, you know, I have to remind myself, as I said earlier, like that I need to be, I need to take a deep breath sometimes and understand like what's actually being helpful. Even though I have a right to yell and I have a right to be upset, I want to be solution oriented as well. And being compassionate for what everyone is going through and specifically what the black community is going through and recognizing your privilege wherever you have it is super important and that is really like to me what is going to make this 
move forward positively and what's going to actually enact change because everyone is, you know, like today, today is blackout Tuesday. Everyone is posting and sharing and standing in solidarity. And then everyone started getting mad because the hashtag is burying all of the images and then yeah. that became a problem. And then it's like, okay, should you be posting because you're just posting and then they're not doing anything else. And it's like, okay, like, let's all just focus for a second. Right. Yeah. Of course we want everyone to stand in solidarity with black people right now. That, that is important. And I don't think that, you know, I don't, I, there's a lot of different conversations about how this whole blackout thing started and how it's evolved as most social media things do. I don't think it's helpful to be critical of people who are trying. Right. In fact, you know that they are not really trying because you know them personally and you know that it's bullshit. But people are trying. So that's that's step one. Now mm -hmm. let's help them. Okay, thank you for posting that. Now can you please take some action other than the 30 seconds it took you to post a black square yeah. to go and do these things like what T posted. Let's help black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know sign some things and get some some change actually moving actually do what you say you care about so take the next step and and that to me is like what has to happen now like we're protesting forget the looting i don't even want to talk about it anymore we're protesting which is overwhelmingly what's happening around the world everyone is recognizing that there needs to be changes everyone is getting involved i'm seeing people post black lives matter like corporate companies and i am in like in shock Yep. that these companies are all of a sudden not afraid to post black lives matter whereas a year ago it was it was like you know don't you know just stay away from that now they're like yeah. whatever black lives matter because everyone's realizing that's not a statement that should be controversial it's just facts and now thanks to cell phone video we have the evidence right there you can't deny it there were people there there were multiple camera views you saw that the cops lied about what happened you saw that the cops lied about what actually killed him everything is there in plain sight you can't deny it so now let's figure out what the next step is. Yeah, I think it's it's really heartening to see that, um, and it sucks that this is a, a heartening thing, but it's 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 heartening to see that there's commercial value in believing the right thing. And so I think that uh, that's important to remember because every click that we make, everything we buy, every website we go to is in some way monitored, right? They, they, use, they, they mine that information from us, every email we send, they mine that information from us to figure out what we wanna buy and then sell it to us. So if, uh, you know, if you control your messaging and everything you're saying fits a worldview um, where people really are given equal opportunity, then the stuff you buy and the company selling to you are gonna have to acknowledge that in the way that they try to sell you that bullshit they're trying to sell you. So I think that's super, the, the two things that are heartening for me, obviously, um, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to the level of anguish that we're all feeling right now. Um, but the two things that are heartening to me are that, and also, you know, you're seeing a break in the police lines. Normally police support even the worst among them. And I think, you know, you're seeing, you know, a couple, it's just a couple places, you know, of course the guy in Flint has empathy He's going through it too, um, and in Houston, Texas as well. But um, you're seeing this, this, does it feel different to you guys? This one feel, this moment because of, like you said, the, the, the three killings happening. Also Karen in Central Park going after, you know, 
who a gentleman who could not, who could not seem nicer or less threatening than a than a bird a bird watching bro like so um do you guys feel progress at all in this moment or is it still just the usual i think this time it's it's different i feel like the, the whole the thing with george floyd was like the straw that broke the camel's back you know it's like we we, we saw we saw this officer have his knee on his neck for eight minutes and i believe it was 46 seconds no emotion. his hands in his pocket so to me like i mean you, you actually see that so mm. i feel like that yeah, I mean, we're, we're, people were outraged because this has happened before, obviously, but it, it keeps happening. And the way it happened is just like, it, it, we, like I said, we saw it. It's like, it, it's there, it's happening, it's, it's murder. Yeah, I feel like this feels bigger than uh, some of the past protests that we've had, like recently with Ferguson and in Baltimore. Uh, and it might be circumstances like the perfect storm with uh, people are unemployed, people aren't working, people have the time. And like you said, T, people saw it and people are pissed. So people are going out there and they're keeping this story in the news. Like George Floyd's murder is not getting lost in the news cycle. It's it's staying because it's relevant. And I feel like, like you said, Heller, uh, you do see breaks and police officers interacting with protesters and kneeling with them and talking to them, that, that does feel different. Um, at the same time, I, I hate to see some of the interactions with the police officers where it feels like they're combatants. You've got uh, cruisers in New York running over protesters and police officers like shooting at the media. Like it feels like there's at the like there's more love but at the same time there's a lot more anger and a lot more hate and i just you want it you want to see change you want it where people are tired people are pissed people want a change yeah i think to me and i said this the other day to a friend because we were having this conversation and i was like the thing that makes me so angry about these situations every time is with any other occupation where people's lives are in your hands. A nurse, a doctor, even, you know, not life or death, but like a financial manager or a lawyer. When there's a bad lawyer that's taking advantage of people or a doctor with male practice, you don't see all the doctors like, no, we stand with him and his lack of care for patients that killed 50 people. Nobody does that. They're on the opposite side. That's not us, that's him. And otherwise, there is a there is a brotherhood, there is a, a, a family nature to these occupations where they do stick together and support each other in times of, of good. But when something goes wrong, when there's a bad apple, if you will, yeah. that apple's got to go. It's only in the police space that when when a police officer does something that is clearly not right, there isn't an overwhelming reaction from other cops like. This is wrong. We condemn this. This is not how we police. This is not what we believe in. This is not how we do things. And that is what always bothers me because it's like you want the community to trust you. You want me and everyone else to, ex to believe that you're not like that and I don't have to be afraid of you and I don't have to have this animosity. Yet when someone does something that is clearly wrong, yeah. you have either nothing to say or you stand in solidarity with him. So 
I mean, to use a legal term, like you're guilty by association, but you're choosing to associate with this person. Mm -hmm. And maybe you know his, you feel like you know his character or whatever reason you've been through the fire, whatever excuse you want to use. That person made that decision. And because of that, someone's life is gone. Right. And we can see that it was the wrong decision. So that to me is what always triggers me in this situation. And to your point, Heller, I am seeing more. It's not enough. Like Donnie's right. There's still, I mean, even just what happened at the White House last night is just madness. But I am seeing slowly more and more cops make an effort to show like, not necessarily that coming out and shouting that he he was wrong and he should be uh, convicted for murder and, and, and the other guy should be arrested, the other cops should be arrested. They are trying to de-escalate what situations start to flare up by showing like, we're here to support mm-hmm. your protests, not to antagonize. It's not enough. It needs to be more. And to my point, that's what bothers me about the situation as a whole when it comes to policing is you don't have to stand with somebody who, who makes the wrong decision. In fact, it would make colossal change between the community's relationship with police officers, in my opinion, if you were ready to stand up and say that's wrong. Absolutely. How else, how else are you going to earn someone's trust? Yeah. Um, you know, you don't earn someone's trust by standing with someone that you also know is wrong. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to tread carefully here. Cause I know Donnie has uh, family that are police. Um, but I do also want to make a point about, you were saying what's different about the police from, you know, nurses and even someone who's your, you know, taking care of your money and stuff. And like a lot of times, I think it's the fact that those people have advanced degrees. I don't think that uh, we are getting the best and brightest people to become police officers. And I think you sort of see that um, in, in how, first of all, how people are handling situations where they're, you know, even just how the LAPD is handling movement of people around, they're getting their own cars burned. Like it's, it's, it's their, their missteps and their over-aggression um, that causes a lot of these things. So I'm not insulting all police officers, but there is just a certain amount of accountability that's not there because it, it's not, it's not demanded of them all the time. I think there's been too many opportunities for stuff, like you said, to be pushed under the rug. But, um, you know, I, I really think that if there was more people coming from the military to the, you know, that, that would be a better way to sort of, those people understand the value of a human life. Those people have, you know, been through some real training. But a lot of times what we get now is like boys with big aggressive toys that they've paid that they've used our tax dollars to pay for people maybe smarter than them that that you know are elected people that give them money and they they have to they buy all this stuff and then they have to demonstrate that it's necessary and so a lot of times they're stacking the deck you know there's the conspiracies out there about people about bricks being set you see the cops going through and like destroying milk and stuff for people so uh, the militarization, um, I think, is a huge issue as well. And just, you know, uh, we used to describe police as our best and brightest, and I don't, I don't think they always are anymore. So it's some undertrained, poorly trained, scared, unequipped person that shouldn't be doing this. It's getting thrust into what is legitimately a dangerous, hard job and just isn't equipped to deal with that sort of responsibility. So I think it's incumbent upon elected officials 
Um, you know, Garcetti's trying to throw a bunch of money at the police right now, and that's not going over so well. So it's incumbent upon elected officials and people that are smarter and more responsible for human lives to make some of those decisions. So it's not so easy for cops to, to run about and behave however they want. I think a lot of it is uh, police not police who are policing communities that they're not from as well, like on top of that. And then that yep. just makes it even worse because they're not even looking at the people that they're policing right. as equals or as humans because they don't have those. That work. Exactly. You don't have those background interactions with them. So it makes it a lot easier for somebody like George Floyd's murder to put his knee on his neck because he isn't looking at this guy as a man. He's like, these people are, they're hiring people who have like the most limited interactions with black people and are coming into interactions right. with fear and they're reacting like based off of fear. And then that's getting people killed. Um, I think, I mean, I have, uh, a family member who is a police officer and no other police officers also. I think it's a combination of points that both of you made, which is one, and this has always been my position on it, that if you are afraid of the community that you are supposed to be serving, you should not and absolutely cannot be given a gun and be sent into that community. Because no. as you said, Heller, these are cops have an extremely dangerous job. That's why we treat them with the respect that we do, because we know they have to most of the time go into very stressful, uh, unsafe scenarios all the time. That's why we call the police when we have a problem. They're coming to help a what is usually a bad situation. So if you are afraid of the people that you have to work with every day and you have a gun and you have the ability essentially a license to kill, that is a bad situation. That cannot be the situation. The other part to Donnie's point is if you aren't from that community, why would you feel comfortable policing that community? You know, when you have a, a good cop that spent time in that community, that grew up in that community, that knows the businesses there, that knows the people who live there, there's a certain level of respect and they feel a feeling of responsibility to keep people safe there and to listen and to solve situations without them escalating. The goal isn't to get everybody in jail. The goal right. is to get people out of jail, right? Not by breaking the law, but by creating situations that encourage like peace and understanding and growth, right? And those things are missing. But the biggest element to me is it's, it's because, I, I don't disagree with you that our military should ha like have those jobs, but in the communities that they are from or they have an actual vested interest in. The militarization of police is why we're seeing the police reaction to protests now that is so inexplicable. You are not the military, in fact. You right. are not. You are policemen. Right. You are not to bulldoze over American citizens. You are not to spray pellets into crowds of people who are otherwise peacefully protesting. That is the, the idea that you feel comfortable doing that as a policeman, not as the army, not as, as, a, as an invading army in a foreign country, these are your neighbors that you're shooting at. You should not feel comfortable with that. You should not be so ingrained in the idea of what you are that you feel comfortable doing that. Do you guys, do you guys think that if, because it seems to me that if they had simply arrested the four officers responsible for George Floyd's death, 
like let's say the next day that we wouldn't none of we wouldn't we'd be having a normal podcast right now talking about sports do you feel the same way i think that there would still be i think there would still be protesting um even even if they were brought in um because again this has happened so many times and i think it's just to the way it happened i don't think people would be okay with him resting his knee on someone's neck so i think people will be protesting regardless i, I do want to say too that now that i'm saying this like with the protesting, because I feel like a lot of it was peaceful. And I think if, again, if people are protesting, what I, what I said earlier that a lot of times looting and rioting comes, I think that a lot of times with police antagonizing those people and, sh and shooting one issue rubber bullets. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to say. It really is. I think we had Steven Jackson on, who's childhood friends with George Floyd. Right. We had him on The Herd earlier today. Um, and it's really, on a side note, very encouraging to see almost all of the sports teams, um, owners, you know, Mark Cuban out protesting, um, all of the athletes that have spoken up very, very vocally, unapologetically gone to protests. But Steven Jackson said earlier that, like, common sense isn't common. And that's as as, as basic a level of, you know, ideal as common sense is, it's very few and far between, it seems, these days. Because yes, you would assume people are screaming at you. You can see there are cameras everywhere. Mm -hmm. The audacity to be so entitled when that is happening that you can't be bothered to move your knee is, is inhumane. And on a level that most people have not seen or experienced for themselves in their lifetimes in any capacity, despite the fact that we've said this is this happens, this is this is a, a, a this is a reality in our community. Like I've had scary interactions with the police before. I've had family members who've had terrifying interactions with the police before. And like, am I afraid of the police? Of course. Do I treat the do I behave a certain way around the police? Of course. But I'm also aware that like, I, I have to be that way. And I have to worry about my family. And I have to worry about my friends. Most people have, don't even know what that means. Like, they're like, what do you mean? Just do what the police say. They don't understand that, that like in their mind, it's not even a concept that this could happen to someone. Mm -hmm. So the, the, they've never had a bad interaction with the police or authorities in any way. So for the longest time, they could not believe that this was something that could happen, let alone something that happens all the time. So I guess I say all that to say that I do feel like this is different. Um, and just to you know wrap all this up and put a bow on it and all of you can you know say what you think, but um, I feel like this is different. I feel like the, the social reaction from so many people around the world, you know, protests in so many different countries, so many different cities that are not just Minneapolis, um, but you know, with massive showings of thousands of people in different parts of those cities. I mean, LA has protests all over the city, New York. I think the fact that everyone is going through this very extremely stressful time with Corona, um, the fact that the, the evidence and the videos and the, the accounts and Steven Jackson 
having grown up with him and having such a voice as he already had. This is a different situation. I don't think anyone's going to forget this time. You know, our generation has been through a, a, a lot of different stuff. This feels different. The, the virus, the quarantine, the curfews, this feels like, okay, we've reached, we've reached a, a fork in the road with everything that's going on with the divided country. This is an election year. It feels like it's time. Like, okay, people talk about it. Go be about it now. And this is, history's watching us right now is how I feel. And you have to make a choice. And life is not black and white as far as like this way or that way. There's a gray area, whatever. No, this, this is a time in life. Like we're going to look back on history one day. Your grandkids are going to ask you, what did you do? And this is, this is, I guess, like how I want to wrap it up because we didn't mm. talk about the people who are, you know, in that, that other section of white people who are standing with this like Trump situation. I don't even care about who you vote for, right? I don't care if you like Trump. I don't, I don't care. Like, do I care? Yes, of course. But I don't, I don't want to focus on, I don't focus on that right now because it's not about Trump. This happened before Trump, many, many years before Trump, this was going on. Trump did not, Trump did not create this. Is he responsible for the absolute chaos that we're dealing with right now? Because he's a terrible leader. Yes, he is responsible for that. He did not create police violence. He did not create social injustice. Does his rhetoric help it? Does it encourage it? Of course. But this existed for many, many years. So right now, what is happening? What's happening is history is splitting. And I don't want to be too deep and like theoretical about it, but you can go back in time. You can look at the civil rights movement and ask the people who picked the wrong side during that time, how things went for them. Go back and look at these big moments in history when everyone was stressed out, when everyone was yelling, when everyone was protesting, when it felt like the world was burning, what side did you pick? If you feel comfortable, 100% comfortable that you're right and you're making the right decision, it's between you and God, honestly. But you should think about what it is that you're doing. And, and make sure you're making your own decision. Uh, I, I, know, I know something just from, you know, growing up in a, in a good neighborhood, there's a lot of people out there just saying what their parents told them to say. And I have some news for you. Just because your parents were rich doesn't mean they were right. So, you know, try to, try to have an open mind. Uh, try to move with empathy. And I don't, I don't want to take the last word at all, but I just want to say uh, thanks again for including me in the podcast, um, uh, uh, you know, all of our friendships and uh, this conversation. We appreciate you, Helen. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like it takes this kind of disruption to enact change. Like without this kind of protest, people aren't listening otherwise. Um, so I, it, I feel hopeful despite how hard it is to feel hopeful in these times. Um, you see these protesters, like we said earlier, are mixed. It's like the most diverse of crowds. It shows that not just black people are upset about this. Uh, Americans period are upset. And, um, I'm hopeful that we actually see some change, some real change um i know that it realistically is probably still a long time coming but uh we are living history like joy just said and i'm hopeful that what's happening right now 
is going to benefit my kids and my grandkids. And all I can really do is do my part and hope and pray. Appreciate you. I mean, Don, I thought you said it perfectly. Um, I think that with everything that's happening now, um, with intro with you saying with it being an election year, it's like this is time you have to really go local. Um, you know, like this this year really you have to make it count, it matters. You have to make sure you you vote. And again, I've said it earlier that, you know, when we when we kneel or when we peacefully protest, it's just not the the voice that leads us to action. It just isn't. So I think with all everything that's happening that and people are aware and talking about it, everyone across the country, I do believe and I'm hopeful that things are just are better and that it gets people talking more and it gets people stepping up. I've been seeing a lot of people posting on social media that, you know, a person um that didn't look like them said like, Hey, I you know, I appreciate you, I love you, or you know, or just just those little things just to kind of unite us. And I think that's what we really need. Um having compassion and empathy. And I think that things will things will get better. Well, thanks, guys. I know this was uh, very emotional, but I thought it was a better way to handle uh, everything that's going on. It was good to talk to all of you, even though we're yeah. still all in different places. Uh, yeah. It feels like this is yeah. like the, the closest to being back in the pod room that we've <laughs> yeah, had happened. So um, hope you guys are all safe. And um, I love all of you. And Love you back. back the podcast room soon and this uh you know this all helps us move forward thanks so much for joining us guys really appreciate it hope you're staying safe and staying well make sure you follow us on all our social media pages at maybe i'm crazy pod and make sure that you subscribe on youtube to the maybe i'm crazy podcast you can listen to the podcast on any major platform iHeartMedia app spotify soundcloud iTunes. So we hope you do that and we'll check you out next week. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Ooh.